0: Yeah,
1: dirty balls here, Come out now and fight! You need to be more like a doll. We don't need a bunch of cats in here looking in the mirror. Be a dome!
2: Whatever happens in leash, it's always a scandal.
1: Why do you think that was?
2: Probably because we are
1: always drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> no smoke without fire, it's not going to light it. I met Tomas O'Shea one day and he said, I'm sick of that northern crowd. He said if they went set dancing twice a week, we'd all be set dancing twice a week. I can remember
3: a lad, Jay Boothroyd. And he was getting sick, right lying like that, <laughs> looking at me like And well, I'm going, this is not helping me. Every man, woman, and monkey in May all is,
1: is nearly nearly in the all. Shaking the
3: bucket! That's it!
1: OK, we've got a special Sunday panel for you. Anthony Moyles, former Mead captain, Dahi Regan, an All-Ireland winner with Offaly, and Ewan McKenna, author, journalist, and uh, also representative from last night's game for us. Gentlemen, you're all very welcome. Thanks very much for joining us this Sunday. and just briefly, it sounds like it was one of those brilliant January games that um, actually lives in the memory for a bit longer than these games generally should.
4: Yeah, it was excellent stuff and you kind of got the feeling that it meant a little more than a game in January should when you have Dennis Bastick getting sent off for throwing a, a box in the stomach and kind of lads walloping each other in injury time. and uh, It was extra time if anybody didn't realise
1: this one went to extra time. And,
4: uh, it was, I mean Kildare were behind for the whole thing basically and got a late equaliser Shawnee Johnston missed a chance to win it and the crowd erupted naturally he kind of got it very hard in the crowd and on the pitch for the whole lot of it um, and then Dublin were three points up at half time in extra time Tommaso Connor came on and he hit 1-2 in the second period of extra time and that was
1: it they won by two points one two points, points, two points. 17 uh, interesting you, you mentioned Shawnee uh, Anthony Moyes has just been involved in the most high profile transfer since the Shawnee Johnston saga you're, you're going home Anthony? <laughs> <laughs> yeah going home home to roost yeah, I just decided
3: this year I said um I go back to the uh the home club where I began. So uh yeah, it's a long time ago now. Where are you transferring from and to? Um from Oliver Plunkett's back to Saint Paul's in uh which are a junior team now. Well back junior. Yeah. Unfortunately. And was this an easy decision for you? Um no, no, it wasn't easy. Uh like I mean I, I kinda I've thought about it for a while, um, But I kind of just came to the decision that you know it felt right, so I just said, "Yeah, look, I'll I'll do it." You know, it's 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 obviously a step down in grade, um, but I'm 36 now, and I kind of said, "You know what? I'd like to kind of do a few years with them." You know, while I can, and uh, it's it's I don't know. It was it was a tough decision in the sense of you know Oliver Plunkett's obviously an excellent team. I made good friends there. You know, there's there's, how long were you with Plunkett? I was four years. Yeah, yeah. So we got to a county final. We probably should have done a little bit more, but unfortunately, we didn't. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, they are a team that I think will win a county final in Dublin in, in hopefully in the next few years. But uh, I just decided, you know what? There's a new kind of a bunch of lads in. Tom Keg, who was a selector on the Me team last year, is back in, and and my own brother Sean is is helping out. And you know, my my the other two brothers that I have are involved as well. So I'm kind of back playing with them and. The average age is pretty high, <laughs> but Sherlock, sure, you know, it's all about just kind of enjoying it now and going back and just seeing how we can go.
1: Yeah, uh, Di, obviously yeah, you're famously from one of the, the biggest and best hurling clubs in the country of um, All-Ireland success with them, but you did play for another uh, hurling club as well at one point.
0: Yeah, I did. I played with, with Fogs in Dublin back in uh, 80, a- 89 and 90. And again, similarly like that, went back to went back to Borough in '91, and the the draw was there to play for your own club. But it was just—I mean—it was economics at the time that dictated that was the situation. I was working in Dundalk. I didn't have any. I didn't have any travel. And back then, to get from Dundalk down to Borough was a was a difficulty. I'd been out of country for a couple of years before that, hurling in the States and in London. So when I came back, you know, it, it, it was to me it was obvious I was just going to play with my home club, and I was in Dundalk, and it was early in the year, and it hadn't really dawned on me how am I going to manage this. Yeah up and down and then I got approached from uh, Eamon Ray Ned Ray who played with Limerick in 73 he was chairman of Fogs at the time I didn't know who the guy was he he approached me one day and asked me would I go and play with Fogs etc and listen, said there was a job in it and there'd be a vehicle in it, you know, as part of the job. Yeah. The club weren't providing the, the car or anything like that and, and, and the man was true to his word and I, I have a lot to be thankful to Fogs and Eamon Ray for because they, they kind of set me out in a career path that to this day it, you know, I've been involved in sales since since the late 80s and I, you know, before I actually accepted I went back to my own club and I felt out of, out of decency to them, I said to them, listen guys, you know, the work situation wasn't wonderful at, at the time and I said, listen, an offer has been made what's, you know, what's the situation I was maybe naive enough to think at a young age that maybe they'd say well hold on we'll come back to you but I mean this was this was you know born in the late 80s there wasn't a, a whole pile going on so you know they, they said listen do what you have to do I mean we'd love to have you but and I spoke to my dad and he just said it's a no brainer there's a job opportunity there it's, it's an opportunity to get you kick started in life and I took it and I played a couple of years with Fogs I think Finster's bet is one year in O'Toole's, the f- f- following year in a couple of quarterfinals. And my only regret is I didn't feel I justified the fate that they've shown in me and, I, and I've regretted that and I've regretted it this day and I've said it regularly because they were a wonderful club it's changed now in that back then Fogs relied on country guys only there was no minor under 21 there was certainly no kids infrastructure but over the last number of years Fogs have done the right thing they've tapped into a huge infrastructure on Temple area and they're feeding kids teams from all ages 5 and 6 teams from 10s, 12s and they needed to do it because when the country kind of kicked off um Fellas were more mobile and they were coming to Dublin and they were heading home at weekends and they weren't playing for yeah. the likes of fog, so they did the right thing. But it's one of the great regrets I have is that I never felt I justified myself with them, but they were a tremendous club and I feel honoured to have played with a club with such a tradition. And why did you go back to Burr? Was it just that at well, oh, that stage? I, I, I was young, I was, I was working in Dublin and then I got transferred to Port Leash, taking run running a depot myself, and Port Leash was 35 miles from home and I was now back living at home. And Burr had lost the county final in 1990 and Ken Hogan was over a very, very young side and I had grown up with these kids um, so the talent was there everything has been under underage and the first year I moved back we actually won a county final and got to a, an all Ireland club final and things kick started after that with Borum, we did glorious 15 year year period but I'll never forget the time that I, that I spent with Fogs more more regrets than anything else because they, they were so good to me
1: Did you learn different? did you come back a different hurler from the club scene or was it, uh, did it not actually change your game too much? Well I think
0: I can remember in 1990 I was centre forward for Athlone and we played Dublin in Leinster final and I marked my good friend and clubmate at the time Jim Ling he was a Kilkenny guy and I played against Rory Bowling Shea and the great late MJ Ryan um, and people had a perception back then that Dublin Hurling was poor Dublin Hurling was actually really really good at the time the following year they, they actually, we, we bet them in 1990. The following year, the bet is in the Leinster semi final and they played Kilkenny. I think Kilkenny bet them by two points in the Leinster final. Art, uh, who was over them? Uh, it was Foley. Uh, one of the Follies jeez he was an animal of a man a tough man he just he. Foley Lar Foley he was just a horse of a man Dublin had a really fine side at the time Brian McMahon from Crumlin uh, a couple of the O'Toole's guys they, they were really a good side but we, we were coming Kilkenny were still a good side Dublin were unlucky then but, but uh, I would have come back a, I, I don't think I came back a better hurler because I didn't play well in Dublin and I just it, it surprised me the standard of hurling in Dublin actually surprised me uh, fitness wise the club teams in Dublin and to me, were fitter than parish teams down home back then. I know things have have moved on, but to me, there were certainly a fitter bunch of clubs
1: than what i would have been used to. Just to tell everybody, it's uh, one all. Chelsea equalised against Brentford sixty minutes in the clock. Oscar with uh, the equaliser there. You um, and the the whole ethos of the GEA is that you kind of it's one one club, one life. But actually, it turns out that uh, that's not really what happens in in modern life anymore. Um, No,
4: and I think recently when job pressures have gone up on guys, you can't be getting off early to drive down the country and all this sort of stuff. I mean, the last three, four years, you you have to stay, you have to work late, and then you can go training. Um, The one issue I would have with this... To, like okay you got guys coming from down the west they're not going to drive seven hours home but in Dublin they always seem to pick mostly the same two or three kind of super clubs um, I, I don't believe in coincidences to that extent and I never have um, You think there's uh, right. recruitment and boosting going on in the style of the I can't prove it but I'd, I'd be sure um, I, I think there definitely would be and I'd, because it's always the same two three clubs in Dublin that even if guys are living on the other side of the city like you might talk about driving down the country takes an hour to drive across the city some of these guys are driving an hour and a half in a rush hour to get the training and it just makes no sense and it doesn't do the game in Dublin any good um, and I think the clubs that do it can be lazy um, I mean half a leash was playing with Parnells there for a while and they yeah. couldn't feel the minor team for a while yeah uh,
1: although I think that is not that actually the problem with Parnells is that um, in Kulak they found it very difficult to get into the underage that actually there wasn't that much to attract the kids so what they decided to do was to try and build a good senior team and then hope that that would be the inspiration for the kids to come underneath it at least that's the argument that they make that the social pressures on an area like that you know you don't have people who are willing to dedicate the time to build the underage structures and that maybe there is another way to do it but I think kids in an area, like in Dublin especially, will look up, they'll
4: want a local hero, they'll want a dub. They're not going to look at a leash player playing well. It, it, it doesn't represent them, it doesn't mean anything to them. Really? Um, Do kids yeah.
1: not just like success? Um,
4: I, I think they have to feel, he came from here and he can make it. He can't be... And they've never seen him around the club for 25 years. All of a sudden, he's winning a county title. It doesn't. There's no link, they don't know him. He's not their
3: hero. I don't know if i buy that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like I mean... You know, I went, I went to Plunkett's. You know, there was, there was obviously a few different, I, I'd played with, um, St. Paul's and then we won the junior championship. But we were a one man, we were one team club because it's St. Peter's and St. Paul's underage. So it's Dunboyne, you know. And of course, all any good young lad who's coming through after minor would go and play with the senior team who are Dunboyne. So, um, my brothers were obviously playing with the Paul's. So I said, no, I'm going to play with St. Paul's. We won the junior championship, went intermediate, stayed intermediate for a year, but unfortunately, we were literally only a band of brothers. It was about just 18, 19 lads, you know, so um, different fellas had different priorities, married, building houses, work, etc. So myself and my brother Barry said, look, you know, I was starting with Mead, and he was with the Mead Juniors and I said, look, we need to go and play senior. Now they'd no bother, they signed us and we went to play at Blackhall Gales. We won a championship, the senior championship in Blackhall Gales. But again, Barry left and I just said, you know what, I needed a new challenge. Blackhall Gales in Mead, In Mead, yes. Yeah, right. yeah, which was an amalgamation of Batterstown and Kilcloon So we won the championship, we won a couple of leagues. We we did very very well. Got to another county final. We were beaten by Dunboyne actually. But um I said, you know what, I was living in living in the city. I was I was uh working in the city um and I said I'd like a different challenge, so that's why I went and I met Mick Galvin actually, and Mick Galvin pulled it straight out to me. He said, "Look, there be there's 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 nothing in this bar playing for this club," um, and I said, "That's all I wanted. I didn't want any anything apart from that." Um, I knew the people involved. He was a passionate fellow about it, and I said, "Okay, let's do it." Now they trained in 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 the Phoenix Park, and it was just—I have to say—the the the ability to leave work, go home, just get into your gear, and literally just drive fifteen minutes to the Phoenix Park was was breathtaking for me in the sense of I used to be in a car for an hour and a half going to meet training yeah. I know. so you go an hour, an hour and 15 an hour and a half get down to Navan, take off your suit get into the gear straight out onto the pitch come in meeting whatever it is the local lads would be home at half 11 I'd be home at quarter past 12 by the time you'd actually get to sleep, it'd be one o'clock and you're up the next morning at half six, went to work. So, like, I mean, I kind of did that for a long, long time. And I said, you know what, it, it, it's the, 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 the fact of the it, it was close to home. They were a good bunch of fellows. And I must say, Plunkets and the people in Plunkets and this is probably against you in a bit, we did a number of different things where we kind of went and trained teams and you had the young, young, young teams, you know, under eights, under 10s, under 12s. And I must say, like, of course, we're all about Bernard Brogan and Alan Brogan. But at the same time, you know, they'd be over and asking for autographs and just kind of chatting away and their parents were very very welcoming you know and I don't think it's of course there's a rivalry there and I used to get plenty of stick I say know, yeah but but at the same time I didn't get that much I've got very little stick from players and I got I got th- are you talking about opponents or, or clubmates well the clubmates would just that would just that be that would national, be, a normal that'd be stuff, just nor- yeah. normal yeah. ribbon you know but like I mean playing playing an opposition team you know you might get a one guy on the sideline who's given you a fair bit but mostly people were always over after shaking hands you know being and being very very genuine about it like I think GEA people are GEA people do you know what I mean I don't think you know like on the pitch yes there's, of course there's a rivalry but I think anyone who if they see you being genuine being honest being tough and fair I don't need to have a problem with that yeah. you know
4: um yeah I mean there are there are genuine cases and th- well, of course there are but I mean would you as a guy who played in Dublin with Plunkett would you have seen seen the same kind of intercounty stars going to the same two or three clubs would you ever scratch your head and wonder why always these
3: clubs yeah well I suppose there was there was but like I mean at the same time a fella doesn't really want to make a move for a couple of years and not be him with a chance of winning the championship you know like I mean uh, you know like you you, you, you make a move You try to go to a a team that you think, you know what, I can make a difference here. And then there's also a possibility that I'm going to win something, you know, like, I mean, and, and help the team to win something, you know, but there's also then you might be just living in an area and you get to know a few fellas and you say, you know what, actually, this is, this is what I want to be. And this is who I want to play with. Um, yeah, like, I mean, there was a couple of guys, like, I mean, the fellas who played with Kilmacud, though, I think there's a number of them. I think the Parnells thing was probably, out there on the stone it was a bit of a, an outlier to be fair you know um, and and apart from that Sylvester's have picked up one or two fellas who are living out kind of malahide way uh, that way Kilmer could have had Morrissey and a few of these fellas having it for a, a long long time um, yeah but I think I think maybe one or two kind of clubs but I take Jerry's point in the sense of they probably decided you know we need to build a team and then try to get a bit of regeneration below that you know yeah, there is the point then though if you're
4: you're playing on a minor team and you might be good enough to make the senior team and all of a sudden some guy is parachuted in who plays your position. I mean it's going to turn you off. You're going to go and complain to your friends about it. They're going to complain to their
1: friends about yeah, it. Yeah, so it needs to be done very carefully. Mm. That's the like uh, you can definitely see where that would be. Yeah well I
3: think that's in down term. to management. Sorry sorry, but I think that's down to management as well. The manager has to be able to say, look you know look like, I mean I, I, my fear this year would have been, you know, there was a new manager in um and obviously I'm pushing on a bit now and I did actually genuinely think of that like if there's an 18, 19, 20 year old and maybe I'm taking his place or still there is it better off for me just to kind of stand back now but at the same time you know it's up to that guy to take the place off me you know if he's good enough he should be playing if he's not good enough he, he won't be playing I think a lot of this goes back to and St. Vincent's
0: back many years ago and I think Kieran Barr when he heard what Antrim uh, was the first one to, to, to break the mould up in Vincent's, there was a time up in St. Vincent's that you had to be born bred Marino or you were not allowed play and Kieran Barr back I think in 1989 with the travelling up and down he, he, had, he had a high profile job in Dublin and within the club itself there was a huge there was a huge uh, volume of people within the club traditionalists we call them who were just totally against this and he got a bit of stick but I think the elephant in the room here in, the, in what we're actually talking about is, is financial inducements and I, I know guys that I played with in Fogs before and one of them down the country before but are still very involved with Dublin in, in the, on the hurling scene and I'll leave it at that You're ch- chatting about questions and players signing and, and, and what, what has come up is that reputedly and I, I don't know I'm, I'm only throwing it out there because it has been raised there's no doubt that there have been inducements and at times huge inducements for players to join certain clubs in Dublin so I I, I can understand where Ewan is coming from to be honest with you when you do see high profile players coming to the same club I think the big question is are these guys getting paid now on one hand you can say is Dublin football suffering because of the importation of top class quality football I don't think that can be proven on the basis that if you look at the Dublin underage structure bowling hurling and football at the moment it's Exceptionally strong. Dublin are probably the strongest county out there, with with with, with the, the the ability that's been generated in the players, the conveyor belt that's coming through. So it's an issue for the club, I think, at the end of the day. And yeah. maybe maybe in a broader picture, is is it an issue for the GEA Have have they got the
1: guts to go after this and try and discern mm. is it actually happening? Well, I but it, I think it is an issue. But there are, there probably are loads of ways to legitimise it. So that if you take a job at a club, and I'm not, we're not going to name names of any individuals or clubs here, obviously, but just if if that job was just a coaching job and you then become effectively yes, I, administrator I, I don't think there's an issue I don't think there's an issue with that
0: like I mean every there's not a club in Ireland there's conventions club conventions going on today yesterday next week last week and managers are get managers are getting paid end of the story and it's been it's been guised as hourly expenses medical expenses whatever you wanted you're right yeah it can be but the reality is it's going on it's getting paid I'm managing a senior team at the moment I've managed teams for a number of years it's going on and it's it's like it's got to the stage now with, with guys will talk to other guys and say such a club or after me, what are they like for money etc yeah. and, it, and, and it's a gravy train and it is an issue and I know our president at the moment Liam O'Neill has set task force together and it has been looked at etc personally think it should be looked at personally think it should be stopped
4: And then there's there's a flip side of all of this as well. We're looking at it from the Dublin club's perspective. They have huge numbers, great facilities, great money. But then when you take a guy from a country club who what happens to that club like this is the hero they might drop down in divisions uh, kids don't have that hero all these things so there's a club that brought a guy up left behind that everyone's focusing on Dublin there, course, is, there, there is the other side of that as well the, uh,
1: the other side of that need not necessarily be a negative though where a bunch of players get to play club football it seems to me in Dublin is at a higher standard than most other counties That as in the, the best team might not be the very best team in the country but there might be a, a, a slew of 10 teams that are fairly equal Whereas in most counties, there's one really outstanding team mm. or two really outstanding teams, and so their game gets better by playing. Against there are those, but opposition. Ga is
4: beyond just the intercounty team and, and the players' game. It's a kind of community. When when you get out of Dublin, it's kind of it is a community, and you could rip the soul out of a community if the local club struggles yeah. and loses numbers. But
1: I suppose then the, the point you're making is that somebody has to sit in the car for an hour and a half to go back down to a tie or to even further, whereas they actually could be living and working in Dublin, and. And playing football here to an extent, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah I, think, I think it's uh, you know, it's a kind of <clears throat> like, I mean, I think if a fellow was kind of saying, you know, and someone said, you're going to rip the heart out of the community, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of pressure on the lad like it's living and working in Dublin. But it, it, but I do take the point, but at the same time, um, the club have to say, well, you know, we're big enough and we're able to do this and we're able to, you know, bring youngsters along. And yeah, fair enough, you know, like, I mean, my thing when I left Blackhall Gales was, I wanted to actually go back to Dunboyne. Uh, because I'd played hurling and football under Um and they wouldn't sign the transfer so I said if you don't sign the transfer I'm gone anyway um, because I'm not uh, they, they wouldn't, want to transfer stay. To, to they to wouldn't let me transfer to Lumbine. and they said no we're not we, we don't want to try transferring to Dunboy and see you playing against us next year in the championship but I said well look my brother had left I'd won a championship. We had won Division Two, Division One, League. You know, except I said I've I've done five or six years of all I could give, um in very probably the best years that I had. And uh, I said, you know, I want to finish off here. And they said no, and that was fair enough. That was okay, um, but that was the reason. Then I, I obviously went into you know dublin because you couldn't you couldn't go anywhere else and um, what had to just stay there or else stay out of football for a year and then get a transfer so everyone has everyone has different reasons but i do dahi is right like i mean there is this stuff is going on and um, and whatever way to disguise it it is going on um I can hand on heart nothing nothing went on personally for me, um, and, but thankfully I was in a position where I didn't need it. You know, like I mean, I have a good job, and you know, I wasn't in a situation where you know it was a necessity. Yeah, some fellows might be in a place where it's a necessity. Yeah, you know, so like I think to broad sweep it is very very difficult. You know, you have to kind of look at each individual situation as it
1: stands. So can I ask you what it's like to manage a count- a, te- a team that isn't your own club? Is that in any way? Do you feel any less committed to it? I mean, No, no, absolutely not. Uh,
0: and it's in Offaly as well, and conceivably I'll come up against Borough, but no, not a problem. I mean, when you're involved in sport and you have a love love of sport, be it Hurling or any other team you'd support, I mean, my kids have asked me this, how can you do it? It's eight miles out the road. No, not not, a problem, not in the slightest. And I mean, sport being what it is, if, if we're to play Borough in the championship, well, I'll be a liar here and now if I say anything other than that's one scalp you'd love to get. I mean, this is a young club. They've never won a, a county title before. They've an average age of about 21. So, you know, Joachim had them for 2 years. He said he was 2 years too soon. He'd love to get the hands on them. A great bunch of kids, you know, training very. What are, her, what are your mates
1: in burst anyway this?
0: No, I don't listen to them, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't listen to them I don't talk to them about it. To be honest, which I one, one of them last week said to me, "Listen, if we ever discuss Bourne and Shinrone, you tell me the truth and I'll tell you lies." So, <laughs> not a, it's not an issue at all if you're professional about what you're doing yeah. and, and you give your heart and soul to what you're doing. You can't have emotion. So, you know, it's so why I always laugh with Eamon Cregan going back to 1994 when we bet Limerick, you know, and Derry O'Donovan who was a sidekick then and our physical trainer he's uh, Cregan won't thank me he's verified because I've said it Derry never believed that for a minute Cregan shaking hands with the Limerick County board and the guy looked distraught that rubbish. Eamon Cregan was happier that it was Limerick rather than anybody else, and I stand over that. But he was politically played a great game on yeah. it. And and you will it, it's human nature. Yeah. you know. Absolutely.
4: What did you make? Was it the guy who managed Derrick Alcieron this year he came up against Ballandery? Yeah, and he stood aside for that one game which was Well I
0: think he he came across can't remember off the top of my head, but Muldoon was it? was one of the Muldoons he came across as the most sincere chap that this really was tearing at him yeah. hugely and then there was a counter argument that well, that they were going to win didn't well they win it, went, it went it, went, it, it was pretty close wasn't it oh, I was like to care care to beat them. Yeah, correct yeah. yeah so I mean there's a counter argument listen if you take on a club do you say at the start of the year well if we meet my own club I'm not going to be involved uh, it, I had a bit of sympathy for him but it, like, if we're playing Bor I'll, I'll want to beat Bor as much as i want to beat anybody else so it won't be an issue for me
1: we've got to take an hour break but before we do I'm going to tell you that the magic of the cup is alive and well because Brentford have scored from the penalty spot after a bit of a disaster from Turnbull. Uh, penalty to Brentford Forrester sticks it in 2-1 Brentford lead Chelsea with 15 minutes left to go and um, Chelsea have all their stars out John Terry's playing Lampard's playing Torres is playing and it ain't going so well for them Uh, we're going to be right back after this with more from our panel news talk sport Sunday. All right, you're very welcome back to uh, News Talk Sports. We've got a really interesting show lined up. We're uh, in the midst of it now. We've got Park Harrington on the program a little bit later on talking about uh, his start of the season. We're speaking with Paul Breitner as well, the former um, West German World Cup European Championship winner, um, a European Cup winner with Bayern Munich in his time, uh, now involved as an advisor to the board at Bayern Munich. And we're going to talk to him about Pep Guardiola. Our uh, panel this afternoon, Dahi Regan, Anthony Miles, and Ewan McKenna. One of the other things that we're doing on the program in a little while is checking in on on a guy called Dan McLaughlin, who you probably haven't heard of but um, he's dedicating his life to trying to become a PGA Tour professional he wasn't a golfer at any stage in his life he was uh, pretty annoyed with how his life was going came across the 10,000 hours theory that if you uh, dedicate your life for 10,000 hours to one specific thing that you can actually become a world expert in it decided that golf would be his thing because you know, he would played a bit of tennis and he was a photographer and thought, yeah, golf, you know, you don't. age isn't going to be a barrier to this. And uh, we've checked in on him once a year, every year for the last couple of years, and he's coming up later on in the program. But one of the things that we wanted to talk to him about was um, how dedicating your life to something can make you happy. Let's have a listen to what he had to say about that.
2: You know, I, uh, that's funny. My uh, sister-in-law was in town, you know, it was just Christmas, the whole family was in town. and. And uh, she commented a couple times just about how how uh, quote-unquote zen I had become <laughs> when we were playing a family game. And and, uh, and, and I mean, a couple people had said that I seemed much more peaceful. And I think that that's something that uh, you learn through golf just because you have to accept the bad shots and accept the, the negative things that happen. And, you know, you can't internalize those. In other words, you'll just melt down and have a horrible round. So I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's made me a more uh, content overall person, and um, um, I guess a, a little bit more easygoing um, demeanor overall, uh, and I think that, that's, that's one of the, the best things about golf is, is the mind game and, and how it teaches you so much uh, about the rest of your life and how to put up with triumphs and uh, failures. That's uh, Dan McLaughlin
1: from The Dan Plan. We said, That was from last year, actually, a clip from last year, but uh, we're going to have him on again with us a little bit later on in the program. You and I love this story. I love the fact that he just packed it in and decided, I'm going to try this, and, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but I'm going to have a good time doing it. And it sounds like he is having a good time doing it.
4: Yeah, I mean, away even from the sporting angle, just to have the cojones to say, look, this, I have this job, things are like this, but you know what, I'm not happy to chuck it all in and just say, I mean, I can imagine how his family and friends must have thought when he said, look, I'm giving up this job, I'm going to be a pro golfer in five, six years after 10,000 hours. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, what, what a legend. Yeah, die.
0: Ah, it's a fascinating story. I heard, heard you speak about him before. It is a fascinating story, and I mean, so many people just live the mundane life and, do what they have to do to get by. But when you get a guy who's been willing to say, it's a great profession if he can make it as well. I mean, I'm sure we all love looking at it and you're looking at it and saying, Jeez, what, what a profession if he can do it. So, oh, yeah, great credit to the guy. Love, it'd be great success. You'd love to see him do well, make a good living, good living out of it and see will he set a precedent for all the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> 10,000 hours, Jesus.
1: He was 30 when he started. It's about a five and a half, six year project for him, really six years, you think. So he's about three and a half years through it at this stage. Mm. Um, it is a ballsy play. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah. But uh, like it, it, the problem I, I
3: I would see for him is that you know he gets does the ten thousand hours. So he actually gets to a situation where he's 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 good enough. You know he is say up at the top rankings. But like once you're up there, you're just you know it's it's so so tough. A guy I know, a good friend of ours in work, um, was a pro. He went pro. He 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 was a, like a he was a you know he was a serious serious golfer and uh, went pro for about 6-9 months he just said he spent his time travelling staying in hotels trying to make the cut didn't make the cut you were down money from having to get your flights yeah. your hotel everything involved you'd pick up a caddy when you are over there because obviously that's all you could do some local lad um, and and as he said, the best of the best from Ireland against the best of the best from all around all and then you have the season pros, you know. So you were just in the Lions then, you know, and it was so so difficult to make any kind of a living from it. Like I mean, okay, you make the cut once and you get you manage to get an unbelievable round and all of a sudden you get a you get a big win. But the chances of that happening are, are fairly slim, you know, and you really are up against all these really talented people coming through every year who all probably did the 10,000 hours when they were 16 exactly like I mean this guy trains as much now he's, he's hitting balls 4 or 5 times a week he, he still has a kind of a personal trainer guy looking at different stuff looking at his swing all these different things like he's still obviously a serious player but um, he just said there's, there's just like I was I, he, he played against McElroy he played against all these fellows all the way up in different amateur And I, I just said like what is the difference and he says well he says there's a bit of luck but then there's there's a final just small bit of a mindset, uh, and he says McElroy has it say above and beyond what everyone else has it. So the ten thousand hours it'll get him there. But the problem is, you get there, you're there just with the other guys who've done it for all of their lives.
1: You Can know? he identify what it is in McElroy's mindset? Is it a killer instinct? Is it a, a, a or is it an unflappability? Is it? He just said that he, he exactly. He he never ever, like the pressure
3: just does not pressure is not even a, a thing he even considers like other lads are sitting standing over a putter and, and like this lad's name is, is Brian Brian McSweeney and he just said that that is, is, is the thing that gets a lot of fellas you're standing over a putt, you're standing over a drive you're, you know you're in the mix you're yeah. doing something and, he, and also the consistency of it like I mean he was playing he played some amateur thing he was telling me there last year conditions like today two rounds a day over four days like that's that's tough going you know, like I mean, and then it's the concentration of this every time you, t- you you stand up there to take a shot. You know, you can't let your mind go, or else you hook it off somewhere and you're in trouble and you drop two, three shots and you're gone out of the equation. You yeah. know, so like I mean, the like, there, you don't really get it in golf when you think about it. Like, I only played a bit, but the mental concentration that's required to consistently go, take all the pressure of everyone around you. Different lads coming at you, and you have to make sure that every shot is as good as it gets. That's—I don't know if ten thousand hours can teach you that. In, now, in terms d- of the
4: ten thousand hours, though, and I'm not going to say is talent, God-given, as an atheist. But um, I mean, is, is that enough? Like, I mean, I would say I spent ten thousand hours as a child kicking a ball off a, a wall. Lo-
1: lonely child I was. <laughs> the, the quality of the practice is the thing, really. Um, it is, but I think
4: you need other things. I mean, I think you need uh, uh, you need mental traits, which you're not going to get with ten thousand hours.
1: Which top players in any sport have. Uh, the A couple of the points that are made in some of the books that are written about this um, is that it is about the quality of the practice and that the mentality to do the practice is actually the thing that separates them. So uh, Roy McElroy would have been able to, to continually practice at a level that was higher than everybody else and that that's almost... The, the mentality that he has, which separates him so i don 't know if it 's a, a an ability to to be critical of so i 've missed a shot a couple of inches to the right i 'm going to keep going until I fix that and then perfect that skill as opposed to it being the mentality under pressure only it 's actually mm-hmm spending the time practicing at a higher level than everybody else. Is, but is but if you look
4: at look at athletes who put in the hours and, and had this talent, I mean the amount of guys have fallen through the cracks over the years across various sports, so there is a, a bit of kind of right place, right time. I, I remember covering the European Cue School for a piece in a magazine three or four years ago down in the, the south of Spain, and I mean they all had this talent and it came down one put and you're on the European Tour yeah. and you're making a fortune. Mm. If not, you're back to this, and I mean just as the journalist covering it that week, I've never felt as lonely in my life, like it's the middle of nowhere there's no one watching it so I mean you might have this talent but you miss one put and you're back to this the following year with no money and you're, you're losing a fortune it's like, it's
0: like Connor. Connor this, this same parish as Connor Deegan the great down footballer and I had a pleasure of playing with him last year up in uh, Port Marnock I think it was uh, at a news talk thing and I mean the guy is just a sensation I think he's the lowest handicapper in the country he, is, he has two brothers that are minus is, is he minus four or minus plus, plus six plus, or, or is, he, is, he, is he plus, plus five but he was saying that he has, an, he has an ambition to have a go at the seniors tour when he turns when he turns 50 he's hitting the ball better now than he did when he was a kid I mean they grew up on, on the links so he's not getting the time to to play and, and, and to practice mm-hmm. you know like, like other guys he just really is a God given talent he's just and it was just amazing to, to play with a guy like that was, and he was brilliant to play with what you're doing wrong and this that and the other but he, he's really keen to have it a go with it. but he, he was kind of making the point that yeah I can do it and there's no problem I can play with he's a number of course records around the country uh, but he says to do it then with money with a card in your back pocket you know, and he's not competing at the same level when he turns and hopes to make it as guys who are coming down. He's go, he reckons he's going to come, guys that didn't make a lot of money on, on the general European tour and are going to go on the seniors tour to try and make money. Make an and easy. he says a lot of them are burnt out by the time they get to it. So he says, you know, he'll be like a young buck when he, when he actually gets onto it. He'll be mad for actually rookie, thing and, yeah, Oh, yeah, really is. Like, you know, but he spoke about McElroy as well and just just, just this, this winner's mentality that that Conor Deegan would have had as a Gaelic footballer. Mm. You know, so the mentality he had as as a sportsman, he's he's not lost it because he's playing a different code. He's a winner's mentality, and mm. you know that from talking to him. And that that'll that'll stand to him. And I hope to God I'm really going to keep an eye out for Deegan if, yeah, yeah. if and when he does, because he's just a great guy as well.
1: Were there been a different approach for you guys uh, heading into big games, Anthony? Like, did you need to work on your own mindset for heading to big games to make sure that you were doing all the things that you always did?
3: Um, no, I think like I mean over the years it, all, it, it it has changed. You know, like I mean between the psychologists coming in and then <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of those yeah, there in our days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a yeah. power man was usually our psychologist <laughs> before we <it> came. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only have the two pints before the main <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, like I mean, it it, it uh, personally speaking, you know, you, you you take certain things from from what a person and say. We had a guy with us actually under Sean Boylan who, who was who was excellent. He wasn't a psychologist. Per se, but he 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 just spoke about kind of performance and about which is a great thing, especially to when I was when I was coming into that team a very successful team obviously you know and you're looking around the room and there's all Ireland winners everywhere and you're just trying to say you know the nerves might get you a bit but he'd just say look you can't play the game on a Tuesday night a Thursday night a Saturday night you can only play the game tomorrow when the ball is thrown in you know and you just think of it and say okay because you, you know you'd find your mind racing that's the worst thing about it you find yourself even if you're in a game and you're going well you're thinking well, you know, if we keep going like this now, we'll, we'll win this game. And all of a sudden, your mind just starts to drift and all of a sudden, your, your man has drifted off and he sticks the ball in the back of the net. You know, it's very, very hard to kind of, you know, the people talk about being mindful, you know, and in the zone, it, it sometimes is difficult unless you have someone who just reminds you of that. And to be fair, this guy was excellent at that. You know, just small little things which just kind of bring you back to the present and kind of say, okay. A trigger for you? Yeah, a little trigger, you know, to just say, okay, where, you know, ground yourself. Even if you get a score, you know, instead of kind of running around jumping up and down and punching the punching the air you actually look where's my man you know like i mean all those little different things that you know it, it's it's it sounds kind of mundane to a certain degree but it's 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 vital and i think if you can take those small things uh I suppose in any sport you know like I mean you see the best of them you know there's 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 very little emotion shown you know until they actually get the deal done and yeah. it's, and, and they're walking off then there's an
1: outpouring at that stage absolutely Fernando Torres equalised for Chelsea it's 2-all they're in extra time or sorry they're not in extra time they're in stoppage time at the end of the 90 minutes but it looks like that one will be going to a replay barring a very late winner for either side but uh, Chelsea definitely haven't had it all their own way today 2-all with 91 minutes on the clock in that one Fernando Torres has equalised um, were there big games where you didn't perform and then big games where you did perform was there a difference in terms of preparation or something that you could pinpoint afterwards oh, I, I would have to say yeah
0: And I've said it before and gone on record and saying it before when we won the All-Ireland in, in 1994 against Limerick I just I played in every kind of a game before that minor All-Ireland uh, under 21 All-Ireland four four Leinster Senior Championships a National League final so from that point of view you'd say everything was apt the, the mental preparation there shouldn't have been a problem and I can I just remember the, the morning of the game just I don't know what came over me but I just wish it was Monday instead I'm not looking forward to this the pressure just bore down massively on me and I can remember my brother rang me and I was bursting into tears the morning of the game and he said get a grip and I said I don't know what and he said for God's sake you know you've played up here before and I, and I played crap and I can remember with 15 minutes we won it I can, I can remember 15 minutes ago Cregan calling me aside and I just I can't wait to get off here and when the game was over I just felt really bad Mm. We'd won an All-Ireland first time ever as your ambition as a kid and I just felt... You know, I couldn't detach myself from the fact that I, I hadn't contributed on the day. I played bad. I felt I let myself down, and I, I, I thought I'd had a really good year. And all the games coming up to, and I, I think it was the first time I was ever subbed as well for off a senior level. But I just wanted to get off the pitch. And then the following year we played Clare in the All Ireland final, and the whole the whole mental preparation was different. You know, and it's like looking at Tip when they won the All Ireland in 2010. When they got the third goal, I think it was all the players turning and beckoning to one another. The heads. It, it took. It, it took. You. Know the, the 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 tragedy for them of of losing the way they did the previous year to say we're not going through this hurt again. So for me, and I remember Shane McGuck in offley's corner back at the time, he he'd had a bad day in '94, and I can just remember leading up to the game, everything was different. It was like in many respects about about myself. Mm-hmm. A, a very personal kind of thing in that the result kind of came second it was more a case of self-preservation that I'm not going to be taken off in two All-Irelands in a row and, mm-hmm. I, and actually on the day I thought I had a really good game against Clare and, and, and played really well but, and we lost and I actually felt afterwards and some people might disagree with this but I can only answer the, the way you've asked me the question I kind of felt even to this day that yeah we, we should have bet Clare and, and I think I know why we lost it etc but what can i kind going say well thanks be to God uh, you know I played well Uh, I would have hate to have carried that as a a retired player over the years to say I played in two All-Ireland finals and played crap in both of them you know even if you've won both of them you know yourself and it doesn't matter Joachim said to me afterwards well listen your picture's up in the wall when people go into the pubs no one's going to say who played well I know so your mental preparation does play a part you can just emotionally get yourself too involved and too worked up and I, I played in every kind of a big game before that and the following year I was a different animal um, because it was a case of it was self-preservation whether that's the right method to use to get yourself right I don't know but it worked for me but the result didn't mm.
1: That's really amazing that um, it's possible to... It kind of almost sounds like you feel a little bit negative mm-hmm. about the the one that you did win and far more positive about the one that you lost.
0: Well, I'd prefer to have played well. Of course you would. I'd prefer to, to have played well. Um, and, uh, it doesn't you know, devalue
1: the medal for you in any way, though, does it? Um, like it's still... Uh, yeah, yes. Because you were yes, part it,
0: of the yes, team. It, yes, it has. There's no doubt to me it has devalued the medal. There's no doubt it has. I'd have preferred... Winning in 95, and what was a dour game against Clare, and and, and Clare take all the plaudits in the wonder of First All Ireland in 80 odd years. But for me, I can remember talking to Pat Connors, who got who got the last goal for Offaly against Limerick in '94, I can remember talking to him a couple of weeks after the game, and I just pissed off down to Galway after the Clare game, and I thought I'm not hanging around. There'll be you know the usual kind of inquisition. you get laced, and I went to Galway for two weeks, and I, I, I spoke to, to no one about the hurling. It was Clare crowd up for the races and so on, and so forth. And I can remember talking to Pat Connors afterwards, and he says, "How have you been?" It was like a death in the family, and I remember saying, "Oh, not so bad," and he says, "I've been up vomiting night after night," and, I, and I'm sure Pat won't mind me saying it. A great guy and a great servant, to Offaly, but to him. That's the, I didn't feel that in 95 to be honest with you but I kind of felt like that in 94 after we'd won but mm-hmm. it, was, it was it was very much a personal thing that you know I didn't, I didn't feel the same as, as, as winning say other things that I'd won with the club and that yeah. where you had played well on the day I think it does make it a little bit more special if you have a great day and you win an All-Ireland medal and you, and you, you have a great game Yeah, I think it does help from a personal point of view I think it
3: does I think it does, yeah. But it's 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 again, it's a personal thing, you know. Some lads would say, oh, you know, like I mean, if you have if you have a bad game, the team win. Um, Like I mean, I I used to be the same. If I had a bad game and the team won, I would feel like, okay, I've let the team down here, you know. and if, if, if the win, yeah, the win would be, it's there, okay, and it's, and, and you've done it. But at the same time, you're kind of thinking, you know what? I didn't really, I didn't help. I didn't, I, I let myself down. I let family down. I let whoever else down, I let teammates down. And then yet, if you lose a game and you play well, you would feel better personally. Okay, you're you're obviously disappointed about losing the game, but there is a sense of kind of comfort, I suppose. You know, to a certain degree. Now, some fellas would say, "Oh no, that, that's that's the wrong way to be." You know, it's all about the team. But essentially, you are, you, you know, you're you're an individual amongst the team. You know, and you have to participate and you have to add value to it and if you don't well then you know you shouldn't be there you know you, you either get substituted or whatever so you have to feel at the end of the day you have to be able to stand and look back at yourself the next morning as we've often said yeah. and said you know what i actually did my best um and i played well and i and, and i added value to 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 whatever
1: happened and you can actually say you know what, it wasn't my fault yeah. today. and under, under those circumstances defeat actually doesn't really matter as much well
4: I was yes. just thinking as the lad spoke um, and we were talking beforehand about sports psychology um, and when you hear stories like that good sports psychology, it's not for everyone but there's still club lads down the country who'll ridicule it, board members this but when you hear actually what goes through a player's head and the effect it has on them emotionally, you kind of get the sense of importance, like maybe if you had a sports psychologist before in All Ireland or whatever else to talk talk you through it to kind of yeah. get you through well, all uh, that, it might have made a difference
0: Well the first time I ever seen a sports psychologist been brought in was, was Babs brought in a second psych- Psychologist in '98 at the start of the year, and she was she was a great girl, absolutely brilliant. She put a picture up on the wall one day, and it was a horse in the field. And she wishes, you know, what is it? And she asked John Try, the most laid back fella you would ever get, and he looked at him, and he says, "It's a horse in the field." So she says, "No, I want you to, to look at it. You know, use your imagination, and now really tell me what, what, what you think it is. It's a horse in the field." <laughs> you know, <and laughs> psychology was gone out the window. And we ever saw her again after that. So, some guys. But no, I appreciate where you're coming from, you and I mean, I, 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 it probably would have helped. To be honest with you, because I had nobody to turn to in the house that morning, and it did get to me, and I went into the whole thing and the whole day in a bad frame of mind from, from early on that morning. So, you know, who knows? I'm sure it would have helped, yeah, if you had someone in a professional capacity who...
3: The one thing you don't, we, we, we and, and again, you won't name names, but we, we, there was a, there was a certain individual who played with us a number of years ago, and, uh, the boys always gave him, always gave him a good old slagging, you know, because, uh, win, lose or draw, if he had scored, What he expected to score, he would literally be hopping around the place, you know. And I remember one particular game don't know if it was either in quarterfinal it was either quarterfinal I think it could have been a quarterfinal and everyone was it was a game we should have won heads down no one in any humour you know you're literally from a wrong luck away from a a, a row beginning in in, in the showers type thing and (laughs) he comes bouncing in in the flip flops (laughs) or nearly singing in the shower you know and everyone's kind of looking going is this guy for real you know (laughs) he notched up the scores and he's he's getting the gear on and everyone's like like, I mean but I remember thinking to myself and saying you know what he didn't let us down yeah, you know like I mean but you don't over no you don't, so you, you, that, don't. Yeah. you don't know. there's only no to come in but at the same time you know he actually did well uh, you know and, and look that's just the way he could I suppose he could kind of compartmentalise it <laughs> can, we get, can we
1: get to yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no maybe he was well ahead of the sports psychologists. yeah yeah or, or out of their field of expertise yeah. uh, listen lads we were unfortunately out of time I've really enjoyed that and uh, thanks very much for all of that Paul and Waterford texted in so the 10,000 hours must be combined with a focused practice where the brain is constantly challenged if it's done on autopilot you just reinforce uh, certain habits having read a few books on it he says so maybe that was your problem that's, that's what happened the wall didn't challenge me yeah <laughs> uh, you need to have a few hours with it uh, uh, Anthony, Dye and Ewan thanks very much
3: Yeah, have dirty balls here Simon come out now and fight
1: yeah. you need to be more like a doll we don't need a bunch of cats in here looking in the mirror be a dome. whatever happens in leash it's always a scandal why do you think that was probably because we're always drinking and so. <laughs> <laughs> no smoke without fire not going to light I met Tomas Shea one day and he said I'm sick of that northern crowd." he said if they went set dancing twice a week we'd all be set dancing twice a week
3: I can remember a lad Jay Boothwright and he was getting sick right now,
2: like that <laughs> looking at me like
3: and I'm going this is not
1: helping me every man, woman and monkey in me
3: all is nearly right in the Shaking the bucket that's it